Welcome to the Reading for Success podcast, a production of Success League Radio. This podcast focuses on customer success and leadership books, provides an overview of each, and gives you an honest assessment of whether or not they are worth your time. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Hayer. And I'm Russell Bourne, and we're the co-hosts of Reading for Success. We also both work for the Success League, which is a boutique customer success consulting and training firm based in San Francisco. And today we're reviewing the book, Impact Players, How to Take the Lead, Play Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact, which is written by Liz Wiseman. Liz previously wrote the book, Multipliers, which explored how the best leaders make other people smarter and how you can kind of compound the impact you have as a leader by multiplying the leaders that come after you. Impact Players is really, in many ways, the corresponding guide, not just for individual contributors, but for anyone who reports to someone. So let's dive in. Russell, can you give us an overview of the book? Sure. Well, Wiseman presents the book in two parts, and part one defines the impact player versus the contributor and walks through sort of a rough chronological project timeline that goes from identifying needs to acting on them to finishing the job. And then part two uses stories to guide you on adopting the mindset of an impact player as an individual, and then also how to build a team around it if you're a leader. Yeah. So first, let's talk about what we liked about the book. What resonated with you? Well, uh, my favorite part of the book was written by Lily Tomlin. Um, There's a quote (laughs) in there. and, And she says, I used to wonder why someone didn't do something about that. And then I realized that I'm someone. Right. And yeah. so it's it's this sort of mindset that you have that you can create change if you want to and that you don't have to wait for someone else to take the lead. And yeah. I thought that was a really good attitude um, around the theme of the book. And then with that, I think my my second favorite takeaway from the book is that an impact player is it's not a personal trait. It's not like some people are and some people are not. It's a mindset that you can have. A, a lot of the book is about being aware of that and, and knowing when to step up. And then, you know, finally, I I have to say that part two was the the actionable part of the book for me, where Liz Wiseman really put the pieces together on, you know, giving a lot of concrete examples on what to do and and when to do it. Kristen, I know you're a big fan of Liz's first book. So what were the highlights of of this one for you? I am. And I, I have to say, to be candid, I'm a little disappointed by this book. And we'll talk about what we didn't like in a minute. But I think there are a few things I really did like about it. One, and I've said this on this show before, I like well-researched books, and this is definitely a well-researched book. It is based on a study of interviews with 170 managers from nine companies. So they went really deep on these nine companies that span nine different countries. And then they also did a survey of an additional 350 managers, as well as in-depth interviews with 25 people that had been identified as high impact contributors. So, you know, what I don't like is I don't like business books that are out there that are like somebody's opinion about what you should be doing steps one through 10. This book has a lot of research supporting the ideas that are presented. However, it's not dry. It's balanced with some really fun stories. And so it makes for an interesting read that also has a strong basis in data. I think my favorite quote, it's in chapter two and in the hardcover, I think it's on page 33. And it says, when we look beyond our ideal job and do the job that needs to be done, we make ourselves useful and much more valuable and increase our influence. And I I like that because, you know, like that Lily Tomlin quote, it kind of points to the whole point of this book, which is that, you know, we need to be looking out 
not just at what our job says we should be doing, but if we really want to have an impact, we need to be looking bigger than that. So I liked that quote. And I think that a lot of us think about doing jobs that need to be done in our private lives. We have volunteer opportunities. We do our work around our homes that we just see needs to be done. But sometimes at work, we actually kind of get a little locked into our job descriptions. This quote, I think, was really foundational for the book and think it's about taking ownership of your job, your department, your team, your company. And I think, to me, ownership is the real message of the book. And I think it's nicely reflected in that quote. The last thing I really liked is I appreciate that she incorporated ideas about how to make work feel light and not just make work easier, but emotionally lighter. I think chapter six is really all about that. And I think that was my favorite chapter in the book. It resonates with me in particular right now because as we're recording this, if you're listening to it later, we're two years into the COVID-19 global pandemic right now. And life and work have been really pretty heavy for people. You know, people are working more now, especially people who work from home. It's hard to separate work from your personal life. Um, Russell, you and I were talking about this the other day. You know, there's been disruptions of our quote unquote normal lives. And there's the uncertainty of the pandemic and the loss of friends and family that a lot of people have had. That's created a real heaviness. And I think people who have the ability to make work light are incredibly valuable anytime, but especially, I think, during this point in time. Yeah, I, I like that. There's, I think, at the very beginning of the book, she says, Hey, listen, this book is not a call to work more. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and so the working light chapter is actually about how you can, whatever you do take on, maybe you can eliminate some other things, but maybe you can, you know, just through your mindset, have it feel like not so much mm-hmm. and have it feel like it's time well spent. Yeah. I know that there's things I didn't like about this book and I know there's things you didn't like about this book. So what, what was your kind of negative I have, yeah, I have to say that as I was reading this book, uh, pretty much all the way through part one, I was I was ready to come on the show today and really pan it. Yeah. But um, so yeah, part one was a little problematic for me on a couple yeah. counts. So I think there's a real overemphasis on just jumping into anything you see that needs improvement. Uh-huh. I think chapters three and four point to that quite a bit. And you know, in my experience, overdoing that can really create toxicity, right? Mm -hmm. Where everybody's jockeying to own everything and everyone is sort of trying to set themselves up as the go-to person. And it can create these turf wars and it it can really damage Mm -hmm. trust between colleagues. And so I like the idea of taking initiative and I like the idea of ownership, but I think there's a, a balance to that that isn't really represented in the book. You know, the key is to identify problems that everybody has, but no one is doing anything about, right? That's how you avoid the turf war. Yeah. Um, and the book says that, but it's it's just very muddy and, and not It's kind of buried, me. though. That message got a little buried between all of the very, you know, do this, do this, do this practical steps. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then the other, the other issue I had with, especially with part one, is that a lot of the book is, t- it takes a really strong stance and then contradicts the stance and, and doesn't resolve <laughs> that, right? Yeah. So, you know, every chapter has uh, a strong stance about, you know, identifying needs and taking action and, and finishing the project. And then at the end of every chapter, there's a section called decoys to avoid. And a lot of times, like, for example, in the finish stronger chapter, the decoy to avoid is to finish at all costs. And it, it talks in one paragraph about how it's valuable to know when to quit. 
And it, to me, that kind of devalued the entire chapter and didn't leave me with something actionable about, well, how do I know when to quit and yeah. what are the things to look for? And how, and how do I communicate to others that I've chosen to step back from something? Yeah, that would have been some practical advice, I think, you know. Some of those first few chapters did seem pretty high level, you know, at, and they didn't go down into a lot of practical application, except for those little sections at the end, which then, as you mentioned, kind of contradict some of the statements in the chapter. It's almost like they were written by two different people. So, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, you know, the thing as I was reading this and thinking about it is that there's just, there's no appreciation in here for B players. and not everyone is going to be an impact player. I think that if you had a team full of impact players, it might be too much. Like you said, maybe it's, you know, that's where you've got a lot of turf wars because everybody's fighting over like, what's that project I can grab? I mean, Liz Wiseman, who wrote this, is obviously a driven professional. She talks about her career path and she writes from that perspective. And I think, Russell, you and I are also impact players. And so the parts that resonated resonated with us probably because of that. But that said, a lot of people don't work to have a huge impact. They're working because they need money to do things that they like outside of work. And um, they're passionate more about their non-work lives. And that leads me to sort of my second point, which is closely related, which is that I think there are a lot of people who work because they need to. It isn't a career. It isn't a calling. It is a necessity. And I don't think that this book takes into account that there are less privileged people in the world who have to work and who don't have the luxury of considering how to be an impact player. And I'm not saying that those people can't be impact players or that they will never be impact players. I think there are lots of people like that who are naturally impact players and will do that kind of work anyway. But in those cases, it seems to be more intuitive rather than intentional. And I think this book definitely has a lens of privilege. You know, I will give Liz... The, the benefit of the doubt on this a little because she did include a section on inclusion in chapter eight, which is the last chapter of the book. But it's from a management perspective. It's not from the perspective of that individual contributor who, you know, might be, you know, in a role or a job where they don't have the luxury or the time or the privilege to, you know, think about being an impact player. So that was the other thing that kind of bugged me about this book. Right. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. You might be too busy. It, it might not be your calling, and it it doesn't have to occur to you to try to be an impact player, um, and that's okay. What's wrong with having some soldiers? Yeah, I mean, I don't think every team has to have all impact players on it. And you know, if you had all impact players, to your earlier point, I think that might cause problems. And I don't think she considers that in this book. And I wish she had. So, um, do we think it's worth the time? I'll let you go first. Sure. So I think I think part one could have been an article, a long article. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really kind of lays out the case for having a mindset, but I think that it was just it can be condensed. Yeah. I like part two there. So if you are reading the paper version of this book, there are some nice charts uh-huh. contrasting what someone with an impact mindset does versus what uh, a contributor mindset will do. And there's a short appendix with some actionable questions you can ask yourself and, and a chart. I like part two of the book. I think part one, honestly, if you if you get the book, if you understand the use case of the book, you can skip part one. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I guess my, I disagree with you on that. I don't think I would recommend people skipping part one, but I, you know, for me, I think it's who should be reading it in the first place. I don't think this book is for everybody. I think this book to me is for individual CS professionals who want to progress their career and have a bigger impact on their company. And they're not sure how to do that. And it might be for CS leaders who want to coach members of their team toward higher performance. But if you're a CS professional who doesn't plan to move into leadership and you're happy where you are doing what you're doing, this is definitely not the book for you. Just don't worry about this one. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, I guess the other use case for individual contributors would be, would be if you're feeling stuck, like if you're you know, somebody who's like, gosh, I'm trying to move into a leadership position and I don't know why, but I keep getting passed over. And, you know, I think this book could maybe help you figure out what's going on. So, I mean, to me, those are the people that should read it. And if you're going to read it, read the whole thing, in my opinion, but we can disagree. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe our first uh, major It's our first disagreement. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> that makes for good radio. <laughs> okay, everybody, you heard our first fight. <laughs> Um, so our next book is the latest work from Sadal Neely, who's the author of The Language of Global Success. Her new book is called Remote Work Revolution, Succeeding from Anywhere. This book is timely during the COVID era, but Neely's research stretches back over a decade, which makes the book uniquely evidence-based among a crowd of recent remote work guides. If you've ever been curious whether a paper book can be interactive and actionable, you won't want to miss our next Reading for Success episode. And it sounds like this is from you, Russell. It sounds like you should probably buy the book in hardcover on this I one. Think, I think so. I, I don't okay. know how it would work as an audio book. Okay. Well, I'm going to try it as an audio book. So okay. yeah, I also have the paper book too, though. So we'll, I'll be able to kind of compare the two on the next podcast. Okay. We'll, we'll focus on that next time. Okay. Sounds good. Well, if you've been listening to us on Reading for Success, you know we've made some changes. So if you're new to the podcast, Reading for Success is now a part of Success League Radio, which is a podcast channel focused on customer success. And our other show, Innovations in Leadership, features in-depth interviews with CS leaders, uh, and that has also moved over to Success League Radio. Over the coming year, we plan to introduce other shows that provide helpful ideas and content to customer success professionals and leaders. If you like Reading for Success, I'd like to ask you for a favor. Share our show on social media. Help us get the word out to the CS community. We want to continue to produce great content, and to do that, we really need the support of our amazing customer success colleagues. With that, I'll say goodbye for now. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join Reading for Success next time.